0: Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weapons to strike a blow against injustice in the world. I'm Tommy Franklin.
1: And I'm Andrew Benda.
0: Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We're only a month old, and we're really grateful you found your way here. Um, If you want to stay involved, you can follow us on our social media at Instagram. We're at Weapon of Choice Podcast. Same on Facebook at Weapon of Choice Podcast. And on Twitter, we are at Weapon Choice Pod. Follow us on those outlets. Share with your friends. Show us some love. And we'll we'll definitely love you back. We love you right now. And we'd love to interact more with you. This episode, we have
1: for you an interview with visual artist Leslie Barlow. Leslie is a practicing artist living and working in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Primarily an oil painter, Barlow's current work employs the figure and narrative elements to explore complex social issues like race, multiculturalism, otherness, representation, and identity. She investigates these through the use of the personal, often creating works depicting family, friends, and people in her community to reflect the subtle and not-so-subtle integrations of these ideas into individual lives and identities.
0: Alright, you want to roll it? yeah enjoy Leslie Barlow y'all
2: I'm Leslie Barlow and I'm a visual artist.
0: Why is visual art your weapon and what battles are you fighting?
2: I I mean I use visual art as <laughs> as my weapon uh, because it's it's for me it's been the easiest way to talk about you know complex issues that I just really haven't um, definitely as young a younger person had like the language to talk about and so uh, what I started using yet was a visual language for that and it really does um, visual art I mean we are a visual culture and like visual art speaks to people in ways that sometimes other modes of communication don't Um, and so like for me I was like I can about something complex, you know, with a figure, with a look, with the way that two people, there's a relationship of two or three people in a painting that maybe I can't write about or, or actually talk about um, with my voice. And so, yeah, visual art just became kind of like the best mode of communication for me. And, and it's, uh, I mean, the act of painting... Um, and the act of making art is therapeutic in a lot of ways. I'm sure, I mean, I know a lot of visual artists say that, but it, but it truly is like a way for you to kind of work through things um, and think more deeply about things, just like a writer would say, you know, writing is like, that. free writing is like getting out those ideas. It's the same thing with painting. You know, you're, you're working on something for weeks or maybe even months at a time, and so you're able to really... Um, kind of dig deeper into the complexities of of like that story or like that narrative you're trying to tell
0: when, when did you realize it was that for you at what at what age did you realize it could it could be therapeutic were you realizing that at that specific time in your life can you look back to
2: yeah i mean like i was definitely i was a kid who always really liked drawing and making art and even though you could argue i was i had a lot of friends, and, like, I was very social. Like, when I went home, I, like, I wanted to be alone and drawing. And so it really was kind of my way of, I don't know, passing the time, but also just, like, having, I really value my alone time, and I always have, even as a kid, and so it was just kind of, like, yeah, it was always therapeutic in that way. Um, And, uh, but I didn't start looking at art as, like, a form of communication or, like, talking about social issues or anything like that really until college. So it it took me a while, um, to get to that point. Well, how old were you
0: when you realized there was a dream, when it was your dream?
2: Um, it was college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was college. I mean, like I said, I took the, I took I took art classes as a kid. Again, but it was always just like something fun. Um and once I took that high school art class and that and uh, my art teacher, her name was Miss Fano, she encouraged me to apply to University of Wisconsin Stout for their art program and um, Cause I was like, maybe I'll go into design because I liked art. Like, I don't get me wrong. I always liked art, but I didn't grow up. My parents didn't. We didn't have a lot of money, and I didn't want to be a starving artist. Like that idea was for sure knocked into my head, and I just was like, I don't, I don't want to be there. Like, I don't want to like have to like struggle. And so um, I thought maybe I could go into design or interior design or something where it's like I could still be artistic but then know that I could pay the bills. And once I got to school, it was my teachers at school that actually, um, at at University of Wisconsin-Stout that actually were like, no, you should, you should, you got something going on here, like you got some talent, you should look into studio art. And if you're worried about finances, get a business minor. So that's what I did. I took that advice. <laughs> I, took, I took the advice, yeah, and I'm glad they. I'm glad they pushed me there. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have gone that, hmm. gone that route. So, what does
0: it what does it mean for you that you're based here in Minnesota? Like, what what are these roots? How important is that connected? You know, in, in connection with uh, growing as an artist.
2: Hmm. Uh, I guess there's a couple couple things. My my work itself is definitely rooted in like the experiences I have growing up here. The communities that I'm involved with and just like growing up in the Midwest, but in an urban city like Minneapolis, but knowing that Minnesota itself uh, is is not very diverse and like that tension. Like I'm, I'm aware of all of that and so my work is definitely rooted in this place. But also as an artist, as far as developing, just from, like, a financial standpoint, being an artist in Minnesota is amazing because we're one of the few states that has, like, an abundance of um, Funding opportunities for visual artists, and so you can actually live and work here by, you know, writing a couple grants a year, you know, like applying to grants, and you can actually do some really good work and be able to survive. And again, that wasn't something I knew as a young, a young person. So like now knowing that, I'm encouraging like the youth that I work with, and um, I now teach at the University of Minnesota, and I'm telling them like it is possible to actually live you know, a life as a working artist. So yeah, Minnesota, you know, affords that opportunity and that's something that I don't know I would have if I lived um, anywhere else, so. And I grew up in South Minneapolis and so I was accustomed to being around different languages, different pe- people, different looking people, you know, like, and, and I, as I grew up, I guess I kind of moved into wider and wider spaces and I went to Anwan Middle School, very diverse, and then I went to Southwest High School, not so much, you know, and, and, and my classes started to become segregated. And by the time I went to University of Wisconsin-Stout, at least from what I remember, I was the only black woman in the entire art program of hundreds of students. From what I remember, um, I mean, maybe as I was a junior or senior, maybe there was a freshman, but, you know, as, as from what I remember, I was always the only one in my classes. What that does to you psychologically, as far as like wanting to be the one person that talks about race—I mean, that's that's just not even a thing. You you don't you just don't want to put yourself in that position. At least I didn't, you know. So I shied away from talking about, um, you know, like the alienation that I felt or um, the experiences I had in that tiny town being a person of color, how it had impacted my relationships. All of those things I didn't really want to talk about. Uh, for fear of really just, I was already hyper-visible, and, to, and then to attract, you know, more visibility to myself, I was like, no, no, I, I need to blend in. It's fascinating. I actually, in undergrad, I made work talking about social issues, but more focusing on gender and gender stereotypes. Um, and I had a couple people who actually saw race in my work, even though that's not what I was trying to talk about. And then I would push back against that because I was like, what? Just because I'm like the brown person here, I'm the one that's talking about race, you know? Even though it probably was in my work. Like, let's just be real, it probably was there, but I just was pushing back so hard because I was like, I know you guys want me to talk about this. And like, yeah, I'm mixed race and I have not like really, uh, dissected what that means for myself yet, but I don't want to here in this space because I do not feel safe um, talking about those things. And so that consciousness really um, and like what led me to making work about these issues honestly did not happen until after I graduated from University of Wisconsin Stout. And I think what was triggering for me, and I, and I'm sure triggering for a lot of people was, you know, when Trayvon was killed in 2012, and I graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Stout in 2011. So, I mean, that was pretty recent after that, and then I started kind of getting. Um, more active in like social justice things, just more aware, reading, researching, like talking with people about, about these issues. And then I was like, oh, how do I bring this into my artwork though? I haven't been talking about it. Like, am I the right person to talk about it? So you talked about that fear, like, you know, you know, what was I thinking? Like that was for sure in my mind, because again, up, to, up until this point, I still really hadn't um, come to terms with how I identified racially because as a mixed race person you know there's there are tensions there and I mean maybe not for everybody but for me there definitely were Um, and so I was just like I'm not the right person to talk about race and then I don't know if you guys remember this commercial but in 2013 General Mills released a Cheerios commercial. Uh, on YouTube. I don't know if you remember this. In the commercial, it it features an interracial family and their little biracial daughter, but the commercial is not about race. It's about how their product is heart healthy. And so the little girl goes up to her mom in the commercial and she like asks "Are Cheerios heart healthy. And then the mom like looks at the box and the mom's white and she's like, oh yeah, it looks like looks like they are. It says, so on the box. And like the little girl has this devious smile and she runs away with the box. And then like the camera cuts and you see her black dad taking a nap on the couch in the living room and he's got Cheerios all over his heart because the little girl poured them on him while he was napping. And then he wakes up from his nap and all the Cheerios spill on the ground. And it's just like this cute little story. Um, So Again, not about race, that just happens that this family looks like my family. In when they released it there was like all this controversy and like the YouTube comments were insane and not that I not that I didn't expect that, but I mean they were so brutal and for me there was that tension again where I was like oh this is so cool like finally seeing like representation of a family that looks like mine and, a, and just a regular commercial a regular TV ad that's never happened I don't even remember when that's ever happened and it's not about race this is really awesome look how, look how far we've gone Literally, I had that thought. And then, like, that just got shattered in, like, five minutes when I went on YouTube and I read all those comments and nothing. I mean, I couldn't even barely find a positive one. I mean, it was from, like, this girl's ugly, this little little child. Like, why would they make an abomination like that? To, you know, like, well, this isn't realistic. That father wouldn't be there in that life. And... Oh, it was horrible and then eventually um general mills shut down the, U- the comment section and then they did remove it from youtube for a while actually it might be on there now i don't know but there was a period of time where you couldn't find it um so hmm. yeah that's the gist of that so hmm. what that did psychologically for me in this time when i'm now like i'm like beginning my my little path to wokeness right and then like this happens and i was like holy shit there is a severe lack of representation of interracial families. What I kind of understood from that experience with that commercial is that a lot of people are really just not used to seeing images like this, and it kind of disrupted their their perception of what a normal family looks like. Um, and, and so that really is what, yeah, was the catalyst for me wanting to make work um, more specifically about racial identity and how that ties to racism. I mean, obviously it's related, but like thinking about specifically racial identity um, and then looking, you know, at mixed race and, and all of that. So that was how, how the work came to be.
1: What were tensions that existed in your higher ed
2: experience? Oh my gosh. So many. Ugh, I don't even know where to begin. My experience at, Stout being a woman of color. I don't know what the statistics are now as far as diversity at that school. But well, let's just say like there are more international students than there were like students from Minnesota or Wisconsin that were like IPOC. Like I would walk through the building and there'd be like you know, a couple international students and then me as far as like people of color representation in that school. Um, I don't know if it was like 97% white when I was there but it was something ridiculous. Um, I may be exaggerating that statistic but it was so high that I was the only black woman in the entire art department at the time that I was there. And what that did for me was anytime any type of racial conversation got brought up, you know, like you just feel the eyes, you know, on the back of your head, you know, they're looking at you. They want to know what you think about the, the thing. And I'm just like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to be that person. It was one of those things where I was already hyper visible and people were like expecting me to say the thing. And so I like, you know, negated that. I was like, I'm not going to be the one who's going to say the thing. Um, I had several... Uh, experiences by teachers um, where I was exoticized in the class and I remember one particular teacher who um, (laughs) during class and this had nothing to do with class right this was like a design course and had nothing to do with the curriculum he just randomly in the middle of class goes you know what beautiful people are Leslie, people like Leslie. Oh, just aren't mixed kids just the most beautiful. I just love when when races just come together. (laughs) Because isn't she just a great example? I'm talking in front of 30 students. And I just looked, and then like another student was like, that's kind of inappropriate. And I was like, thank you, because I just, the, the blood, you know, it's like my face was hot, I was embarrassed. Like everyone was just looking at me like, what is he, like what is, it? and I'm sure he was like well-intentioned. I don't know where that came from, but that doesn't matter when it it calls you out like that. I mean, I felt I felt so, um. yeah, I just wanted to leave that classroom. How long
0: did that feeling last? that day?
2: Oh, no, the whole, the whole semester. That's all I could like think about was like that moment that he called me out in front of everybody in a quote unquote, like he thought a positive way, but really it was, um, extremely problematic, you know, because that's a common, um, there's a, there's a couple like common, um, problematic things people say about mixed people. One is like, oh, well, like I want You know, beautiful light skinned brown babies, just like, you know, you because you're mixed. You know, like they're like, I want a mixed baby. I want to make, and it's like, what, who are you? Like, we are not like some sort of like little commodity. Like, you just, it's just weird. Also, another one is, oh, I love you're just the future. You are just, you know, you are the future people. This is what everyone's gonna look like in the future. It's like, no, I don't think everyone's gonna look like me in the future. And also, like that negates the fact that we are living right now. I'm living in this experience right now. I'm not a a future person. Like, thank you for saying that, but so that happens a lot. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the the what are you? So that's you know a common that's a common um, negative one is that people always are trying to figure out what you are, and then they if you tell them what you are, they are like that's not you're not that. <laughs> They like try to tell you what you are. <laughs> um, you know, fat.
0: you are not half Chinese. You're
2: yeah. Mexican. No, they no, seriously people will do that. Or like I will tell them like, "Oh, know. my dad's black." Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, "No, you got to have some Filipina in you." Or You gotta have some Asian in you. I'm like Asian in me. What is that phrase? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And then, and then it's like, wait, are you saying that my blackness can't can't be enough? Like, it's gotta be something else in there. Like, I hate that shit. I hate that so much. So, anyways,
1: and it, and (laughs) it happens everywhere. From yeah, from. I'm sure elementary school through higher, like a master's program.
2: But like, that's what's so crazy is like that stuff happened at Stout all the time. And then I, there was the blatant racism. Um, I mean, Stout, the year after I graduated, there was a blackface incident at that school. Um, the kids barely got any, there wasn't like any reprimand for that. Um, and then when I was there, I did, um, date, I did date, uh, like, several white guys in a row. And every time, I mean, because let's be honest, this is just all there was there. And then, I just, and then uh, what happened was, especially this one dude that was from a very, very small town in Wisconsin. I mean, you get from his friends, from his family. Like, you know, I had never been called the N-word until, like, to my face until i had dated this individual and like it just i was just like what year is this like where am i like i'm at a college i don't know it was it was just one of those things where it was like this school is not obviously meant for me right now i mean educationally yes socially
1: no you know, white artists can clearly opt in or oh, opt yes. out Let's talk about that of of because of white supremacy and norms of the arts they can yep. they can opt out of making their pieces political <sighs> or about their identity
2: Mhm. Mhm. I,
1: I guess what are your thoughts on that
2: oh god so many thoughts um yeah so like I mentioned earlier in undergrad um I had a few different people you know ask me you know, why I wasn't race in the work or they're seeing race in the work you know, and they're trying to push me in this direction, but they weren't like trying to push my white classmates to talk about their whiteness. Like that wasn't a thing. You know, so obviously at that point I was also feeling singled out. Um, moving into graduate school, um, after I'd already made the decision that yes, I am gonna <laughs> talk about race and I am gonna make work from you know this perspective, which by the way, wasn't like a, a cop-out or wasn't like, cause I felt like I had to. It really became like, this is what I know, you know? And I don't wanna make work about something I don't know. Like I wanna make work that is from a perspective that like is my own, you know? I'm not trying to like tell somebody else's story. Um, so that made a lot of sense for me to uh, push my work in that direction but yeah like going into grad school and just I don't know just looking at artists in general sometimes a a little part of me is you know jealous that you know these like white male artists can just go about making work about whatever the fuck they want you know transcendence (laughs) I don't know like they can just like do this and nobody bats an eye you know but there's you know if i were to make work like that you know and you know potentially i could but if i were to make work like there two things would happen one people would question why i wasn't making work mm-hmm. about what i'm making work about and two i would actually feel a little bit of guilt like am i doing my like, community mm. justice by talking about this other thing that's like not even relevant i don't know and i guess it is everything can be relevant but i i think being more direct about how my you know about my choices and the work like very purposefully connecting to the community is something that not only do i want to do but i feel like i have to do you know like i i feel like i have to talk talk about these issues i can't make my work in a vacuum you know like and maybe that's just because of the life that i live and and what i'm interested in and the work that i do you know outside of my art like it's i just can't pretend like these things aren't happening in our world you know and and if another artist can, you know, good for them. <laughs> but like, I, I just can't, you know? And yeah, so that idea of like in school, you know, the various things that people are pursuing in their work, um, it is interesting that almost all the people of color in my program are making work about identity. Okay. You know, and you have to like try, why is that, you know? Um, part of it, at least from my perspective, is that, you know, there's a lot of stories that have not been told yet, and so to again, you know amplify those stories um is critical. Um, but also, I feel like there is this sense of like urgency that like you have to make you have to make this work. Um, yeah,
0: and so as you go inward and you look inside, and you, you've reached a point in your life where you're peeling back layers of your own identity, You know how do you practice examining those depths before you even begin mixing the paint?
2: It's an interesting process. I mean, most of my work is, most of my work does draw on um, personal experiences or maybe even conversations I've had with people in my life or, articles I've read I told you like I'm I listen to podcasts a lot I am influenced a lot by like things I'm listening to or or reading um and like I have this kind of like notebook of ideas like things that I would love to kind of tackle in my work and it's it's just like it's a never-ending list and um from there I try to figure out how can I visually communicate the complexities of that I'm hoping to achieve is work that that kind of grabs you in at first because it's you know it's colorful these are people you you want to get to know them they're painted in such a way that they feel normal you like you want to like get to know them and then and then you take a step back and you're like whoa whoa there's something else going on here and I like I like paintings with layers like that that you can engage with for a long time and and over time see different things and, and, and the story becomes more and more complex and so to kind of get that in a painting, I mean, it does take time. A lot of these paintings are from photographs. So if I'm going to be photographing you know, my family members or friends or part of the composition of the work comes from that interaction with those people. So, you know, I have this idea, I've been writing a little bit, and then I finally go out... To wherever I'm going to be photographing these people, and then it becomes almost a collaboration in that way. I kind of tell them what I'm looking at, and and maybe they're sharing, you know, a story with me or or, or something. And then, um, you know, I'm just clicking away on my phone. Um, I, I just use my iPhone, and I'm just taking hundreds of photos while while we're talking or walking or um, or whatever. I mean, more often than not, I I'm taking those photos with a kind of idea in mind, and maybe the idea evolves like. In the process of me having this conversation um, with with people, and I allow that space too. I don't want to like 100% dictate how how the the piece is going to look, especially since when you are including other people, it does become that kind of collaboration. From that point, I think the hardest part is actually figuring out what image to paint. You know, after all of this, you know, which can take however a year. Sometimes it happens quickly, maybe it's a couple weeks, but sometimes I'm thinking about something for a long time before it actually becomes a painting, and then the actual painting, yeah, it's it's the shortest part of the process. Um, once the actual painting happens, um, and and yeah, the mixing of the paint, that's two hours. <laughs> so,
1: you take those photos and you and you kind of find your subjects, and and you're you're also hearing their stories. Um, Can you speak to the process of what it's like to then, you know, you have these ideas and then to try to integrate their experiences that they're sharing with you into a piece?
2: Mm, Yeah, Uh, well, I don't know everybody really well that I paint. So when I say it's like shaping the painting, you know, I'm getting to know them, um, I should, I should say I'm getting to know them deeper, you know, through those conversations because they know what my work's about. Right. Not everybody just like starts talking about race the minute that you meet them. right? Like it's not like I mean, it's not like something for a lot of people. It is it is um, a sensitive subject for me. I, now I'm talking about it all the time. So like I don't it doesn't even like phase me. But for you got to realize like these these kinds of conversations are still new for a lot of people. And but they know that my work. Is coming from this perspective and that i'm interested in in you know highlighting these marginalized stories particularly when it comes to like interracial families and um so what ends up happening is that the conversations get deep pretty quick you know because they already know that like this is a space where like this is at the forefront right Um, and that does change the way that they hold themselves in, in the photographs, like the photographs kind of start out a little bit typical, like people are kind of holding themselves in such a way. And then it just kind of, um, gets more comfortable, you know, and, and then they maybe have an idea of where they would like to go in the, in the photograph. And, um, and the conversations that I've had, yeah, are really, really, um, really beautiful. One of the couples that I just photographed and I'm making, it's the painting right behind you right there that I just um, started. Yeah, you know, you know, she, you know, our, ch- our baby's really young and we actually really haven't thought about like, should we talk about race early on? I mean, she's, she's mixed. I mean, should we talk about this? You know, how should we talk? And it was interesting, like them asking me that you know, and and then I was like, oh, this is a good conversation to have. Like, here we are. Like, when would this conversation have happened? You know, I don't know, but um, maybe a little bit later on. But like, it, it was just cool that we were having that in that moment. As I'm taking photos for this painting, that is going to be a visual representation that that little girl then can see as a normal depiction of a normal family. I don't know. It's it's just something that when I was her age, that was not something I I saw. You know, and so to be able to create. Not only the visual representation, but also the conversation with that family is like really powerful. That's kind of how it how it impacts the piece. Like it may not impact like a specific pose, right? But it, it's just kind of the overall feeling of of how the painting, yeah, how the painting comes together.
1: So the, there's a there's a tactile essence, a very physical feeling of layers in your work. Um, can you speak to the layers of the 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 physical layers themselves, and then also the layers of identity that the pieces are exploring.
2: Well, I think you just like said it right there. You know, I mean, it is about layers, and um, I have been experimenting with collaging into my work for the last couple of years, and it was that idea of trying to create like this like layered kind of identity you know within the work that wasn't just you know just oil paint and like a collage is a nice metaphor metaphor for that where the textiles came in is actually I started I started thinking about these pieces um at first it kind of was like well I wanted to make work that was reminiscent of like quilts and this idea of like actually bringing disparate materials together to communicate a whole you know something a singular like beautiful whole and also there's that idea of like domesticity and I'm talking about family and so like it makes sense to have like this tapestry or this quilt kind of like you know this this representation of of that or like hearkening back to that but then as I like began analyzing it more. Oil painting has its own language, right? It's a very history language. Um, and and quilting also is a very distinct history language. And, and both of these languages have been used by a variety of different people, um, different cultures. And what I find fascinating is bringing these two languages together that aren't typically known as being languages you'd bring together creates its own like hybrid language, which can, again, be like a metaphor for mixed race identity, like trying to use something that is known and but like making something new, but it's still familiar. You know, because that's what I'm trying to communicate. I think a lot of times with like mixed race identity people um, or any identity, really, you hear people saying, like, I'm one eighth Irish or I'm one half this, you know, and like they look at themselves as like fractions. And especially if you're mixed race, like you're constantly told you're parts of something and that you're not a whole. And so like my goal is to stop using (laughs) this idea of parts and start thinking of it as layers you know, like you're a layered being, you're not a fractional being. And so bringing these two like mediums together is like, yeah, a way of like talking about that. Like, yeah, I guess if you were to try to pick it apart, it it is parts, but it's one whole piece. Right.
1: In a lot of those pieces you're exploring identities that are often invisible elsewhere. How does your art combat that?
2: Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, Kind of one of the main components of my work is trying to um, highlight stories that we don't typically see visually represented, especially in painting. You know, I follow in the footsteps of a lot of artists that do this. Like, I'm definitely not the only one. And a couple of my favorite painters that do this are... um, Kerry James Marshall, who is amazing, um, and Njidika Akunili Crosby, um, who is originally from Nigeria but she lives in New York now with her American husband, and so she talks about um, a, like a clashing of cultures um, in her work. So again, like a, a, a hybridity. Um, and for me, you know, those those painters um, and a lot of other painters I look at, like they talk about this. But they aren't specifically talking about mixed race identity, so I was seeing kind of this hole in the conversation. And if you were to go to a contemporary museum or, you know, Minneapolis Institute of Arts, you know, which has some contemporary work, but also like all of these these historical paintings, beautiful paintings, you're never going to see a mixed race family. Like, that's just not in the vocabulary. Um, not saying that there aren't other artists that are painting this work but like you're not going to see it there I haven't seen it there yet at least um and so I just realized the importance of I mean visual representation is important we know this like and and so to to just highlight these stories and and reveal like this is the norm the normalcy of it you know like that's really what it's about like maybe in 15 years i'm won't be making work about this anymore but right now it's extremely relevant like until these images are normalized i don't see you know why i wouldn't keep painting them
0: thank you for at least blessing us with an at least another 15 years of your work <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i mean at some point i would like for the to record.
0: start <laughs> <laughs> at some
2: point i would like to start t- like painting the future, you know, or something instead of like only painting the present and like talking about the past. Like it'd be nice to start envisioning like the future, but but like mm. at, the, at this moment, like it's just too important to mm. um yeah, to not have these images here, I feel like.
0: Let's get so. free and then yeah. maybe start painting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> talking about, you know, just thinking back again on your personal journey. What what kind of growth comes with absorbing this fucked up world we're in and letting it out visually? Like what kind of growth happens for you day to day, <sighs> week to week, month to month, year? Yeah. You know, on a yearly basis?
2: Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, I've definitely grown. I'm still growing, um, still learning. I'm not perfect um, and I'm definitely not no, an expert. Um, but I can see a definite change in the way I talk about uh race and social issues like i have a confidence that i maybe wouldn't have had uh four years ago and that can just be due to well part of it's due to actually doing like my own research right like you can't a lot of this stuff isn't stuff that you're taught in school you have to make an active commitment to like get out there and actually like do the work and um be informed and so there was that component also I do have to admit, going to graduate school allowed me a lot of time to do like research in regards to my work and see how other visual artists were talking about these issues, and then how to like kind of use that language, you know, then talk about something new, interracial and multiracial identities, and you know, all of these things. Um, so, so that helped. Um, and then um, I kind of found my people. So when I started uh, grad school, it was actually right before I started grad school. So this is early 2014 um i started i joined a group of artists and activists and um wonderful people in the community um, that all identified as mixed race and we called it the mixed race dialogues we've been meeting every ever since and um it's just a monthly thing Uh, Sometimes sometimes doesn't happen every month but um really it started small and it got bigger and bigger and the goal of these conversations were I mean most of us are in our 20s, 30s. We got some people in their 40s and 50s who haven't unpacked their own racial identity. Like it is crazy you can live so long, like go through so much of your life with being scared to talk about the intersections and your own racial identity and you don't want to take up space, you know? You're like, there's so many bigger conversations. Like, I want people to see me as a black woman. So, like, I don't want to talk about the fact that I'm mixed, you know? And, and so you kind of bury it. And, like, we were like, no, we need to have, like, a place where we can just at least unpack this, like, around, you know, other people with these similar experiences. And it grew into something really beautiful. And that's what gave me even more confidence, you know, to, like, talk about these these things. I was seeing it from, like, other people's perspectives. Obviously, you know, there's not one Mixed race experience, but like there, there were like inter, there were um, similarities and overlaps, and and that was really um, cool to see that I hadn't really had um, conversations with people like that, um, and it was very vulnerable conversations, and actually that ended up growing into this year we planned the very first Midwest mixed conference ever. That was an epic journey, and it took a lot of time and a lot of energy, but we pulled it together. Alyssa uh, Paris and um, Owen Duckworth uh, were the head organizers of that. But I was a part of the team and we didn't know how many people were going to show up. Like we it was like a labor of love. And we're like, I don't know who's going to come here, but like, let's just like, let's put this together. And we had over 130 people come like as far as Chicago people came to this conference. What that space showed me was that. Again, here are over 100 people who are, like, craving a space to, like, have these conversations. And we're talking about, like, transracial adoption. We're talking about uh, mixed-race people that get identified as white, you know, and, like, had all of these, like, very complex topics. Barely scratching the surface, of course, but that's my journey. Like it started so small and me just like questioning, like, who am I? And now it's coming to the place where I'm actually, I'm helping cultivate those conversations with other people. Um, not just through my art, but through the work I'm doing in the community. So it's really grown, um, and made the visual work I'm doing, you know, even more satisfying in that way, you know, and, and more realized.
0: And we like to call that sharpening, sharpening your weapon.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice.
0: If you think, if you think back to the, The moments days um time periods where you you were lacking confidence like how did it feel to be stuck or drained or having an emotional toll and being like in that moment like how did that feel being there and what did you have to wrestle with when you were in those those spaces for yourself
2: well I should say I still feel stuck sometimes like even though I'm more confident now. I still have periods of, of time. Um, I wrestle with, um, oh, what's it called? I wrestle with imposter syndrome a lot. Imposter syndrome is when you feel like you are not uh, the right person to be talking about that thing or you're that you're like a liar, that you are a fake or a phony and that you've been making up this the whole time. You're not really that smart. You're not really that talented. And you know, like, why would anybody want to talk to you or show your work or, you know, it's, it's that it's, it's a, it comes from insecurity, but I think also for me personally, it comes from this place that of still working with my mixed race identity and like, you know, and that idea of like feeling whole and like being able to take up space. Um, so yeah, I do wrestle with an imposter syndrome a lot. Um, and it, it comes in, um, It creeps in every so often and and when that happens or when I'm feeling yeah stuck I just take some days off you know and I go back to like reading and um, I don't know just being with friends and family um, because it's okay to take breaks especially like with how big my work is and and these issues that I'm talking about like it is Heavy. I if you were just trying to push through something, like I can imagine, like it, it would be it would be a lot harder for me. So, what I do is, um, yeah, I take breaks um, when I need it. A little self care. I've been practicing self care. I've been trying to.
0: Have you ever made any mistakes when I'm you were sure. struggling with that?
2: Yeah, I make mistakes all the time. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I always. I mean, I, it's interesting. I I don't do a ton of interviews um, just because I'm always worried about how like if I can't, like, a, you know, fully communicate, like, what I want to say, which is why I chose to be a visual artist and, you know, not, like, a professional speaker. I'm not, like, doing TED talks, you know? <laughs> like, I, like, that's just not, I've never wanted to go down that route, and I'm, and, and that's, I'm, it's cool for people who want to, and there are a lot of people who are really talented in that way. So, yeah, I've tripped up on my words. I've said weird shit, like, in interviews, and I'm just, like, oh my gosh, why did I even say that? Like, it's not even what I meant, but, um, I think when it comes down to it, like you, if you dwell on like the imperfections, like then it, it hinders you from doing the work.
0: Is it ever people that you know well or care about or trust ever fed that syndrome?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, not as much, not as much anymore, but um, yeah, y- y- it used to happen a lot. And I would get, I mean, I guess, I, I like to be questioned. I think it's important that we question um, people who are like doing this work, of course. Um, but I think in grad school, especially, I was always being like questioned in like not a not a way that like like in a way that like where there, people are asking like are are these issues even important kind of a thing. And then you're like, "Wait, crap. Like am I even authentically speaking to this? Am I am I not communicating like how important this is? Wait, maybe I'm not the right person to talk about this thing. I'm not getting this idea across as well as I thought I was. You know, it's people aren't engaging, you know, and um, so that that happened a lot while I was in school. I always feel weird, like that question about the imposter syndrome is really, honestly, a lot of it self-inflicted. I mean, I have had some weird. Oh my gosh, we had this one dude. When we were raising money for the mix, the Midwest Mix Conference. This white dude came to our panel. There mm-hmm. there were, there, were um, there was a panel of six of us, being so raw, talking about our paths to. Um, are just our racial identity exploration, you know, and 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 this dude just ah, uh, he stands up in the back and he's like, you know, I just came here and 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 I can't remember exactly how he got, it. cause we we're like, what is he doing here? Not that there weren't there were people from all races at at this fundraiser, but like he, you just tell he was like out place, like, and he was a little drunk and he just was talk. he just co-opted the space and started talking about how he had a racist experience when he was a, a kid. <laughs> and, um, and, and just totally the whole room just went cold and, and he was kind of questioning our like positions on. And so in a way I had one, a moment where I was like, crap i don't know what to say to this guy like and luckily there were other people on the pan on the panel who like immediately shot him down and were like get out somebody needs to get him out and like said why that was inappropriate mm. but in that moment i was so frozen that i i couldn't say any words and like thank god there were other people on the panel that like that could but i did have a little bit of that like that vulnerability like creep back up, you know, and I was like, I can't. I can't talk to this right now. Mm-hmm. Like he just made me feel extremely uncomfortable and now I'm like questioning why am I even on this panel, you know, and mm-hmm. it kind of snowballed. So like there have been situations like that mm-hmm. um where where yeah, where I've questioned how how like strong I can be um in in a in a space where I'm like questioned by an individual like that, you know.
0: Of all your pieces, which piece unexpectedly moved you the most after it was finished and you like, had time to reflect on it?
2: I mean, actually, I've never been asked a question like this before. Usually the question is, what's your favorite piece that you've ever done? You know, so I like, I like the subtleties <laughs> in your question, like the layers. But usually what I answer when someone asks me, what's your favorite piece? Which is essentially, yeah, what, move, what piece moves you the most? Um, I usually say it's the piece that I most recently have done because uh, I work in a way that I'm always trying to like uh, figure out something new in the piece that I'm working on. Yeah, you know, like I'm not trying to just repeat the same thing, and so I'm always discovering something new about myself and the way I make work, um, and the way I'm like you know trying to convey that particular narrative in every single piece that I make. So it's like I'm building upon the previous pieces. It's, always, it's like this you know, continuing journey.
0: And so what is that new piece and what did you recently discover about yourself that might have been unexpected or you know, tugged at, tugged at your soul a little bit?
2: Ooh, let's talk about the one um, that I'm doing at my grandmother's. Um, so that's one that's almost complete. Uh, and I've actually painted my grandmother's before Um, I painted them, actually I've painted them a a couple times. The reason this one has moved me has a totally different feel than my previous one. Uh, The previous piece I did with my grandmother's, I was trying to emulate the pose from Frida Kahlo's Two Fridas, where she's really talking about this kind of um, almost tension between two selves or two identities, but then also a coming together, they're kind of like linked with the veins of her heart, Um, and... So I made this painting, not a self-portrait like Frida did, but actually of my two grandmothers, essentially like two sides of myself, like these two matriarchs in my family. Um, And they were in like a very similar pose to how Frida had depicted herself. And and I really liked that symbolism. Um, But there there was something in that piece that didn't feel as... um, I guess, as intimate as I was really hoping for. I really wanted them to feel really important, almost regal in a way, and I didn't get that from that piece. So what I did, is I started to create a new piece, and they are larger than life in this piece. In the previous piece, they were like three quarters life size, and this piece, they're larger than life, they're like double life size, it's closely cropped. They're in like their fanciest clothes. I took this photo um, for the painting at my cousin's wedding two years ago. They're in their like fanciest attire, they're looking like all done up, their hair is nice, like you know, and and I rarely get to see my grandmothers in this way. and I just love it. My my mom's mom, she's 88 in this painting. She's 90 now. She just turned 90 a couple of weeks ago. And she's still got so much energy. But she's wearing like a little mini skirt. I'm <laughs> just like loving it because like my grandmothers have so much personality. And and the story of each of their lives are just so complex and layered. And But they're just, they're so like vivacious. The reason I'm connecting so much to this piece is not just because it's a depiction of my grandmother is, you know, who I have this like intimate connection to, but also this idea that I'm depicting um, these elderly women taking up space and like being like totally present and whole and themselves, and they like they look beautiful you know like i'm not trying to make them feel like frail or be anything that they're not you know like they're strong women and so i'm like really excited that i'm able to capture that in this piece and i'm just overall just really happy with where it's going um Mm. yeah it's it's moving me for sure
0: yeah so and you sharpen your weapon that is primarily visual arts how how have you been thinking about just where we're at in this country and how it relates to, like, how you start to think about new creations.
2: I'm so happy that more and more there are a lot of art exhibitions that I'm going to and that I'm, like, seeing popping up that are, like, Totally like politically charged. They're like very, you know, socially aware. Like you know, they're they're trying to talk about all of these different issues, whether it's like environmental, social justice. You know, like talking about Black Lives Matter. Like there's so many different art exhibitions now than it seems like ever before that are really like cemented in now and what's going on now and trying to um, be in conversation. Um, or amplify you know these different um, issues and movements and that is really awesome and I love being in a time and a place where I like I see that everywhere Um, what is interesting about just coming at from the loving series what I noticed is um, this (laughs) the work that I made was about togetherness in a time where Especially, that was like right after Trump got inaugurated is when this exhibition came out. It was like just a few weeks afterwards. And um, it's just so fascinating that when I started making the work, like that was not the future that, that I knew was going to happen. And it ended up almost being more important that these images were about people coming together, um, these depictions of these interracial relationships, Um, in a time where a lot of people are making work about the divisiveness, if that makes sense. And um, not that I also don't want to make work that is talking about that too, but I also think it's important that we have images that are Talking about us coming together, because God, I feel like every time I'm opening like my Facebook feed or like reading an article, like I just feel further and further apart from the people in this country. You know, like it's just like you just feel so divided. And so there was something, um, again, not necessarily planned, because not I knew Trump was gonna be the president when I was putting together this body of work. Yeah, all these images of like love and togetherness, which was really combating what I think a lot of people mm-hmm. were feeling at that particular time. So moving forward, uh, I'm hoping that I can really uh, start to push myself a little bit more in a direction that the work is, I mean, this work is political, God, making art in and of itself is can be a political act, right, it doesn't necessarily, the work doesn't have to be talking about, you know, uh, race or anything like that to be political. but that's where I'm going and I want to push that further and I want to dive deeper into these issues. I don't know really what that looks like yet. My work is always about like this time and place and what's going on. So if shit continues how it's it's been going, which I don't think it's gonna be changing anytime soon, unfortunately, then my work, yeah, is obviously gonna be affected.
0: What vision do you have for like emerging other than just the awesome work you're creating, but emerging as a voice beyond each painting
2: god that is such a complex question because i don't even know like i'm just gonna be real with you Mm -hmm. i take this shit day by day (laughs) like i'm not i i know that it will be difficult for me you know i go into these major institutions the last time i went to new york to see a bunch of work like it's still the majority white Male perspectives that you're seeing. You know, it's not like things have drastically changed um, just because we live in 2017. Um, And especially with seeing like spaces, oh my gosh, like what just came out about intermediate arts and like seeing like spaces here um in in the twin cities like struggling to stay open like these spaces that have been amplifying marginalized voices voices of women you know ipoc like i to see those spaces start to close down it does make me very nervous i don't know where i'm going to show my work i don't know where my space is and um i am acutely aware that i don't want to be um exoticized like in the art world so like some people do want to show like that person of color's work because they're a person of color not because they just not because they like the work you know so they're like attaching to you based on your identity and not like what your work is about and i don't want to like fall into that hole either but then it's like at the same time if you get that like window and you can make it into a place like Mm the Whitney or I don't know, like do you do you take that because there's such a lack of representation? You know, like where do you go? And of course that's way in the future, like the Whitney I'm telling you is not sending me emails. <laughs> that's not my life right now. But what I'm trying to say is like I, I just don't, I don't know and I'm I am worried. And I am frustrated about what's happening to art spaces here in the Twin Cities. And all I can really do is continue to make my work. You know, like I, I make my work because I feel like it's important, um, because it is something that honestly, it gives me life. Like there's, there is there is a element, a therapeutic element involved, but also it's it's a way for me to connect with the community. And so there's a lot of aspects about making my work that isn't necessarily about, showing in these white wall spaces, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is another amazing way to elevate the work, to get it in front of more people and more eyes. And and then of course the potential of that is to continue furthering these conversations. I mean, there's there's obviously um, a benefit to being able to have your work in, in these spaces.
1: What are you tired of hearing?
2: Hmm. Uh. I think what I'm really tired of hearing is, but do you actually have to paint these people? I get that a lot um, from my peers in the art world, is that, you know, why do you have to actually paint these people? Can you talk about these issues with not painting people? I know my studio maker said a lot, too. Um, the thing is when you're talking about representation it's important to have those bodies and those faces like actually in the work um visibly represented so yes my answer is always yes but they're like but can you just push past that can you and i'm like you know maybe in 10 years yeah but like right now this is extremely important that they are in the work because they're not typically so i'm going to have them represented in the work um And I think, you know, in the, there's a lot of artists um, that I follow and like Carrie James Marshall is one of my faves that does this, but he's really um, adamant about having black bodies in his work and like dark black. He's using like black, black pigment, you know, like a black that like nobody actually is, but he's doing it on purpose to draw attention to that. These are like unequivocally black people like they are black and that's really important to him to have those bodies in the work because In what he says is that these people, you know uh, These people haven't been represented like this So I'm going to do it in a positive way, you know in a not even just positive in a multi-layered in a complex way Um, Yeah, and going back into the the opt-in opt-out conversation, you know I don't feel like I can opt out, and I don't want to opt out. I don't want to. Like I want to be in this conversation, um, and I do think some of my peers, um, yeah, that is just a, a privilege and, and that flexibility that they can decide when they want to engage in, you know, social justice, you know, issues and when they and when they don't. And sometimes they make work about it, and sometimes they don't. You know, it's like however they're feeling that day.
0: <laughs> well, just like that abstract stuff that is sometimes created by those folks i like and, how you call it abstract stuff well just <laughs> I, as juxtaposed to like them telling you why you leave the you know why oh, you gotta yeah. put people in there yeah but that like their idea of what you quote unquote should be making they're yes. over there like making it and getting paid a lot of money more yep. often more yep. money and more often and they're showing more exactly so that like mm-hmm. navigating that 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 booking and venues and commissioning and exhibits like.
2: Yeah, I've been told that if I stopped painting people, I would actually show more.
0: How does that feel?
2: Well, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, like this is the work that I'm making and so I don't, yeah, I don't I don't care about that. Because to me, it's not, would I like to exhibit my work more? Would I like to make more money? Would I like to like not have to live paycheck to paycheck? Obviously, I would love that, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to compromise my work to achieve achieve that, you know, like, again, like coming back to like this work, I feel like is important. And um, yeah, if they don't think it is, at least it is to me. So
0: like, how do you reflect on the notoriety to date that you have and the success that you have to date?
2: I think I'm at a really awesome, sweet spot where I'm successful enough that people are, you know, interested in what I'm doing, they're kind of following what I'm doing, and I am showing my work regularly in in a variety of places so that different communi- communities can access it. And that is is important to me. Um, but I'm also not, I'm still an emerging artist, and I'm not at a point, you know, where... Um, my work is like becoming inaccessible or or, like, or I'm traveling all the time I don't actually get to like be in my neighborhood and like, you know, and actually be with people I want to be with and, um, and hang out. Like that's a part of it. Like you have to be able to live life to make work about life. (laughs) Um, and so I'm at a really nice sweet spot where, yeah, I, I feel like I can still make the work I want to make and live the life that I want to live. Um, and not have to worry about feeding into, yeah, some sort of market, or, you know, worrying about, like, a gallery, like, dealer, like, trying to tell me what work's gonna sell, and I should make more work like that, like, I don't have to worry about those kinds of things, Um, but yet I still am at a place where, like, you know, people do come to my shows and I get to have really meaningful conversations with people and people, um, they're coming again and again, like they want to see, you know, what's new. And, um, and I, I feel like really supported by, um, friends and yeah, people in this community in general. And, um, with like the write-ups that my work's gotten, um, and just the visibility that keeps increasing. Yeah. It, it's just, Becoming more and more positive in in that way. I mean, the feedback that I got from The Loving Show was phenomenal. And I'm not talking about the comments on, like, the Huffington Post article and the Vice article. Because if you look that up, oh, my God. Like, internet trolls, I tell you. Um, Not that feedback. I'm talking about the feedback from the people that actually came to the show and wrote feedback in the the journalist saw the work in person that wanted to be moved by the work um, that feedback was so um, important for me to hear and not all of it was like super positive there were a couple you know like uh, uh, critic things that were trying to help me or be critical of the work moving forward which I also really appreciate. Um, But there was one comment in particular, and I can't remember exactly what they said, but it was a person that was like, you know, I didn't even, a friend dragged me to this show, and I walked into the show, and I immediately was aware of my biases. Like, I didn't even realize that I had a particular bias to interracial relationships. And taking a look at each piece, you know, I started, you know, those barriers started to break down, and you've given me a lot to think about. And like something like that, like I'm even just getting tingles just just talking about it because it's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like a, a an experience like that, even if it's just for one person, like makes me, can like reinvigorate, you know, me in the studio, like, you know, just thinking about a moment like that. I'm like, okay, well, this work does have value. You know, um, I'm not just like painting to paint. I think a lot of people, have this weird like romantic idea of what it's like to be a painter um, and a visual artist. And they're like, oh, like that must be the life. Like, you know, you work part time and then you just go into the studio and you just paint. Like that sounds like so much fun. Um, And I just wanna tell all the listeners like, it is a lot of work, this is a real job. It feels like a real job. Like I'm coming in eight hours a day sometimes and I'm painting And, and I'm not excited to paint every time I come in, but especially if I have an exhibition or a deadline or a big commission, you know, like you gotta do the work. And luckily I'm at a place where the work that I'm doing is work that I wanna do, you know, like I'm not taking commissions right now that I don't wanna do. But it's hard and it's labor intensive. Um, you know, it's physically uh, labor intensive. I mean, I get sore sometimes when I'm painting. You're up on ladders. You're down on the floor. You're crouching, like especially with how big my work is. Like, you know, some pieces will take months. And I think some people, uh, they look at a painting. They know you're an artist. They see the painting at the end, and they're like, "Oh, that's like man, it seems like magic." You know, that you just this painting's just finished and it's done and there it is. And they don't realize like how much work and time and money go into making that one painting. Um, Cause you know, I buy all my materials obviously on my own, I'm stretching these canvases, like it's, it's a lot. And I even have an assistant, so I have to pay my assistant to help me out too. So there's a lot. Not so. to
1: mention the work, like to do the painting, but then to get the painting somewhere where People oh yeah, can see it.
2: gotta rent a truck every time. That's fifty dollars one way. Um it's yeah, so I just if there's one thing I could tell viewers like being an artist is wonderful. I would not want to be anything else, but it is, you know, just as valid of a career path or a job mm-hmm. as, you know, anything else that you know doesn't seem as romantic so
0: how has your brother becoming a minneapolis police officer caused you to think about the issues that directly involve black men and police
2: oh my gosh wow just that's a very loaded question but but it yeah it's it has complicated things um before my brother daniel became a police officer my brother's name your brother's name is daniel too it's a good name. He's a good guy. Oh, I love him so much. He before he became a police officer, I had one view of the police. It was like one note. And not and obviously not a positive one. And based on just interactions I had with them and also the way I had seen them interact differently with my dad than with my mom. So those are those are just just basic experiences that I already, you know, had and 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 even my parents will tell you this too. Like, when they first heard that my brother wanted to become a police officer, like, what? Like, nobody was like, yay! <laughs> like, nobody was super, super excited about the idea. But I mean, he's such an awesome person, and his reason, he's just like, I want to help people. And I mean, I guess that's as good of a reason as as anything to want to go into a field like that so so we're like okay you know and um what i've experienced since then with my relationship with my brother daniel i mean it's it's really grown also because he's just getting older um he's so much more mature now and he uh, he definitely looks at the world a different way i think what i've seen and what's complicated my views of the police is Seeing how that job is slowly starting to impact him, there obviously is a lack of representation of people of color on the police force and black men. And he has acknowledged that that um, is a tension for him. The violent situations that he puts himself in on a day-to-day basis, you know, as a sister, anybody who, if that's their sibling, like, you are worried for them you know i'm not putting myself in those kinds of situations you know and and most of the time he is really taking care of people i can't remember how he described it but most of the time he's working with people that like he's just trying to get them to the hospital and he's just seen some really terrible things and so as as a sister i just wonder like how is that going to impact him you know he's only been doing this for for what a year now since he actually graduated from like the academy and he has a really good head on his shoulders and he yeah he goes against that narrative that that I would typically attribute to the police so I it makes me hope and wish that I really hope that there are other police officers like him on the force mm. so like that's what I mean when I say it's complicated in my view but what's also interesting is you know on the flip side of that, uh, he is a black male, and when he takes off that uniform, you know, he isn't a police officer anymore. And he is treated just like anybody, any other black man. And um, and I have another brother, too, so it's like I see that directly, right? Um, just in the difference between the two of them. And I haven't asked him what he thinks about that yet, but I'm sure that's something that he thinks about, and I think about it all the time. You know, like these costumes that we wear and, and how he essentially represents two different threats, you know, depending on which which uh, which costume he's wearing, so.
0: What art are you taking in currently that, you know, is energizing you, is healing in any way, or is just, you know, that you just need right now?
2: I work with some really cool youth, and I guess, yeah, college students, yeah, they're youth too, they're young people, younger people, they're younger than me. Um, They're making some really great work, and I'm I'm consistently surprised at the commitment, effort they put into their work. And um, I work at Juxtaposition Arts, so I work with some really phenomenal youth there. But uh, Hmm. I just started teaching at uh, University of Minnesota. This is my very first semester, and um, already, you know, these students are like, "I don't know how to draw. I've never taken a drawing class," and then like their drawings are just incredible. And I like I wanna take credit for that, but I know like it's is them. And so like it's it's um yeah, it makes me just really happy to see to see them thrive. And that just makes me wanna keep pushing too. So
0: for people who wanna show up if they happen to be in the Twin Cities, uh, what do you got coming up?
2: Yeah, um so in just a couple weeks on October twenty third, uh, I'm gonna be a part of a racial identity panel at Penumbra Theater in St. Paul. Um I think the panel actually starts at 7, but there's like a social hour um, where you can chat with me and the other panelists um, at 6. So uh, take a look at that. Um, and also my artwork, some of my artwork is going to be up to like kind of be like a catalyst for conversation, mm-hmm. which is going to be really cool because I'm the only visual artist on the panel. The other mm-hmm. people on the panel are like writers and um theorists, they're like, they're like some real smart people. <laughs> um, so hopefully I, I do okay on that panel. But, um, and then November 4th is the opening of my St. Kate's show, St. Catherine's University. Um, it's 6 to 8 p.m. is the opening reception on that night, but the show actually runs all the way through December 15th. That show is called Space Between Us. Um, and that show actually will be touring um, to a couple different locations in 2018, Mm. Um, but its first debut is going to be at St. Kate's on the 4th.
0: Beautiful. How can people follow you on the internet, social media, what have you?
2: Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook, Leslie Barlow Art. Um, My website is www.lesliebarlowartist.com. And you can follow me on Instagram, L-J-P-I-N-K-O.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for kicking in with us today in your studio, this lovely studio. We're in Northeast Minneapolis, and uh, it's, been a, it's been an honor being uh, allowed the privilege to sit down with Leslie today. It's been an honor. Thank you.
2: Cool. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you to everyone listening. This has been a special menu production. For any artists out there, we're wondering what is your weapon of choice? And for everyone listening, what art are you taking in that is helping you keep going in these times? You can send your answers to those questions to weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. That's
0: weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. All right, y'all. We're, as always, gonna leave you with a piece from an artist who's fighting that good fight Today's featured artist is Muja Messiah, Right here out of uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Twin Cities. Uh, we're gonna feature a track called Not On My Watch from his Pyrex Pyrexpedition album, which uh, recently came out. You can catch that on, uh, you can get that album on Bandcamp and uh, other outlets. That's the Pyrexpedition album. And the song we're featuring of his today is Not On My Watch. But Not On My Watch kinda really spoke to me. Uh, we gotta be making sure we're mindful of uh, all the things that are going out there, you know, these issues that we're fighting for. I mean, you got, you know, this song had me thinking about the fact that you know, gun control might not happen the way we want it to happen, even in our lifetime. But we got to definitely set up the future generations. I'm um, really tired. Like, thing that's making me most sick, you know, just just today is just seeing so many youth getting locked up, and, uh, and and what's even more sickening is when a youth gets locked up or charged with a crime. The narratives in the media are like, what, what happened to the parents? Where were the parents? They didn't have a father. What was the mother doing? And they weren't raised right. And that's just the most sickening, toxic narrative to um, to try to get to the root of why our youth are getting caught up in this system. So again, this song, "Not on My Watch" by Muya Messiah, really spoke to me because it's up to us. You know, we got to get out of that. Uh, what we were conditioned to think that we're only responsible for our own lives. We need more of a village mentality. Uh, You know, we got to look out for each other, Um, even if they're not our blood. We got to look out for our youth and our future generations. So not on my watch. Enjoy this track. We're going to leave you with that. Peace, y'all.
3: Soil, we was robbed, word is born, we've been had all along puppets and pawns justice been gone this country is wrong, the fuck wrong? good morning vietnam mr of the purge dog mark my words dog money back guarantee i'll be in prog way before the coast guard submerged dog war is not the answer worth the jojo dancer and that's just a my dude but ain't no peace as far as i can see my g well at least from this altitude nigga with an attitude fuck the police and so fuck fast food that's on my mama if it's FDA yeah, approved, best believe
1: it's all bad for you especially tap water apparently America america's scared of me i see I'm
3: reaching y'all Why the hell they tweaking y'all They keep saying sorry to me For no reason at all Fuck an apology Fuck your white guilt And fuck rice milk Fuck Greek mythology Fast forward to your class of you We can't afford one more corroding artery Geometry Trigonometry Stupidity triggered by technology Sonically we all sound asleep While the powers that be Keep counting sheep we at the point of no return If I was you I'd be Every Paranoid at every time Always will be boys when they Watch, not, on watch. Yeah, not on my watch. 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 Power to the people La like Beazle, Combo, Gay, Afro, Taino's a reason to fight. How is Puerto Rico not independent, I don't get it, something just don't seem right. How are we illegal after all this time, after all we sacrificed in our lives? How we supposed to protest peacefully when the police keep shooting us on sight? Even though we evil, we don't mean to be so deceitful, so impolite. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, my sister-in-law, she in chemo, she gon' be alright. Colonized by dollar signs, sponsored by online white-collar crime. Monopolization corporations. Proper rise while we drop like flies, it's all a lie. Not guilty verdicts, got my stomach turning. We all watched them die right before our eyes. Black pride, white man's burden. Shit ain't fair, but don't nobody care. They all on their phone getting likes and shares. They'd rather say a prayer for the ozone layer instead of folks out here that been dying for years. I'm so sick and tired, so desensitized, so stigmatized, so civilized. They won't sympathize, they won't empathize. I say black lives and they rode their eyes. Wanna talk about it, let's talk about it. Like I go on about it all goddamn day. When the cops shot them, it was justified. But they all cried when they shot Havana. We at the point of no return If I was you I'd be concerned Every at every turn Boys will be boys, but will they learn? I'm inspired by the words I feel the
0: pride,
3: many curves. But justice will be served. We at the point of no return Not on my watch, not on my watch. Not on my watch, <esterol> not on my watch, not on my watch, not on my watch. Not on my watch, not on my watch. That was not the time. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Okay, what do I gotta do now here to better myself and get this money, man, and not get shot by the police?
2: have been telling me to get to use all their vices and i've been using them and how do you think i got here
3: and how old are you my brother I'm 16 years old